be to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to cover chapters 15 and 16 tonight. And uh, here in the, the patriarchs, life of the patriarchs. And uh, I'm preaching today on this title, God, My God Sees. Uh, and specifically, My God Sees Me. Um, I... When you think about, there, there's three omnis that we talk about. We talk about God. I'm omnipotent, omnipresent, and um, omniscient. Those are the three that we, we talk about. Um, if we think about each one of those, God being omnipotent, omnipotent, potent power, right? Um, he is all powerful. Uh, that doesn't mean, some people say, God can do whatever, God can do anything. Well, not really. He can't sin, uh, He can't lie. He can't do anything that's immoral. Can God lift a rock, make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Right? I mean, that's the question that people always want to say. You see, omnipotence is not about that God can do anything. It's that he is all-powerful. He is over everything. Um, the, the word omniscient, om, omniscient, omniscience, he is, um, he is all-knowing. He knows everything that is going on. We can think about, man, God knows every detail of everything. So every little detail in your body and how things are working together and what's going on, God knows it all. Um, but he also knows that of the person that's in a little tribe somewhere in some uh, unreached people group, God knows it all. Uh, then there's also God is omnipresent. He is omni. He's everywhere. He's present. Or he's all present. He's everywhere. So uh, when we think of those things, we can begin to think about this amazing great God, which is absolutely true. But we can also, if we're not careful, we can forget that each one of those things ought to be personal to me. That yes, God is in that people group that I don't know anything, and I don't know anything about them, or they don't speak their language, or never met people. That's true, but God is with me at all times. God is omniscient. He knows everything about me. That's not a good thing sometimes, is it? Um, he's omnipotent. His power is not just holding up the stars and holding up the heavens and taking care of that. His power is in my life. It was in my life in salvation. He changed me. Um, but it's, he's working continually in me. So when we see these things, we can forget sometimes that God is so big, but he's also so personal. When we come to this passage in verse 15, uh, there's a few things that, that happen throughout these couple of chapters. But I want to focus on that idea that God, my God, sees me. My God hears me. Uh, in verse 1, the Bible says this in chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Number one, I'm talking about this believing God. Do we believe God? And I'm telling you, this, this uh, kind of piggybacks on what's happening um, 
what happened in this morning's message. Do we believe God? Do we have faith? Um, he, he says in verse 1, after these things, I don't know, do you think Abram was reliving some of the things that had just happened? He, in instinct, uh, in preparation, he went out and uh, rescued his nephew Lot. And I wonder if there's not some PTSD, and I'm, and I'm being serious there, there's not some PTSD um, our soldiers sometimes come home, and, and we have some of us have seen that in action. We've seen the PTSD and what it, how, it, how it affects uh, someone who has been through horrible things. Um, Abram has been through those things. He's led his his own military in and conquered many people. And even if you're winning, to to take the life of somebody, uh, from what I understand, is something that's almost impossible to recover from. Um, so was he worried then that the kings were going to come back and they were going to blindside him? And so the Lord knew he was fearful. And, and that's always the case when he starts off by saying, fear not. He's reassuring Abram of his safety because he had his all-powerful God, his omnipotent God, was his shield, his protector. But not only that, he says that he, he says, I am thy shield, right? That's, that's amazing to think about that, that nothing can get to us without God allowing it. God is not a shield that somebody can get around or somebody can get through. Um, and he says, I am thy exceeding great reward. So not only is he the reward, uh, the, the, not only is he the, the protector of the shield, but he is the reward. He is the provider, but he's also the reward. People think, what do I get if I choose to worship God? You get the Lord. What do I get if I choose to serve God? Guess what? You get the Lord. What do I get if I turn away from wickedness? What's God going to give me if I turn away from wickedness? You get the Lord. What do I get if I obey his commands? What if I get if I do what God tells me to do? You get the Lord. Now, if that's a letdown to you, you don't understand what it means to get the Lord. He is the reward. That, that should be enough. It's like someone winning a million dollars in a lottery and saying, that's great, but does it come with a McDonald's Coke? You know? Like, go buy your own Coke. You got a million bucks. Um, people, so when we think of the getting, of all the blessings that God gives his children, you think about, I got a raise at work. That's like McDonald's Coke to a million dollar prize. But God, you know, he has given me this. God has allowed us, our family, to do this. God has allowed us to go on vacation. He's allowed us to pay the bills. That's, that's great, but that's like McDonald's Coke. Compared to a million dollars, God is the reward. Our Lord is our reward. Now, if you notice in verse 2, it says, And Abram said, The Lord God. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. We've talked about the word Lord when it's in all caps. When the word Lord in verse number 1, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Verse number 4, And behold, the word of the Lord. In verse number 7, and he said, uh, verse, uh, verse 5, and he believed in the Lord. And when he said unto him, I am the Lord. All those times, it's all caps. I am the Lord. It, it is the Lord. It is Jehovah. Um, so whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, it's Jehovah. But in verse 2, it says, and, I, and Abram said, Lord God. Now notice the word God is all caps. It's not always all caps. What it means is that that is a different word, but it is still the same. It's Yahweh in a different form, um, and that is, the, we see the word God there, and that word God, that version of Yahweh, is typically associated or brought together with this word Lord. 
But this word, Lord, in verse 2, notice it's not all caps. So it's not uh, Jehovah, it's Adonai. The word Adonai, Adonai is the word um, to speak of someone as being Lord. Somebody, it's a reverent word used for somebody who is in control. And so here, Abram, it's the first time that phrase is used, the Lord God, and Abram uses it here about God. And so he speaks to him. Abram makes an observation, and he says, listen, in verse 3, Behold, to me uh, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. Uh, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, thou, This thou shalt be thine heir, but he that come, shall come forth to thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Um, and then in verse 2, he says, why would you give all? Basically, he says, why would you give all this to me? I don't even have an heir. And God's like, you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a child. It's not Eliezer. Uh, he, at this point, Eliezer was the one who would get his inheritance. When we come to verse 4, we see that Abram is misunderstanding God's intentions. He knew that there was going to be a great nation that was going to come out of him. Uh, and, but at this point, he was thinking it's got to be figurative because I'm 85. My wife is 75. There's no way we're going to have a child. So this must be figurative. We're not going to have our own children. And so Eleazar must be the one that's going to take on the role of heir. So he's thinking it must be figurative, this promise of God. So the Lord clarifies that his innumerable seed, the seed of Abraham, would be as the dust of the earth, and it would actually be his own flesh and blood, his own offspring. Then in verse 5, he gives basically the same promise he has already given him a couple times, but just in different words. But then we come to verse 6, and we have a, comment, we have a verse that's well known, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him, to him for righteousness. Abram believed God. This truth, the idea of believing God, is foundational for what faith is and what faith does. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, these both repeat this truth, and the context is that we also come to righteousness by faith. God went back, or the, the, Lord, the Lord, through the New Testament writers, by the inspiration of God, went back and said, let me tell you about how you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith. You are saved through faith just as Abram believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4, let me read that to you, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our, Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham, Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believeth God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. In other words, um, He's talking about somebody who works for it. It is not grace. It can't be grace if you're working for it. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so just as Abram was saved by faith, we are saved by faith. That's the point that he's making there in Romans chapter 4. What makes me righteous before God? My good works. No, my, my Bible studies, no. The only thing that can make me righteous before God is that I believe in him. That is the way it has always been. Now, under, under the law, people were not saved or made righteous by keeping the law, because that was impossible. Some people thought, well, in the Old Testament, people were saved by keeping the law. That's not the case. It never was. Salvation has always come by faith. 
Today, a person is saved by believing God about who we are, sinners, who he is, the perfect sinless Savior that died and paid the debt that we owed for our sins. So how is someone saved? By believing in Jesus, by believing that we are who we are, but we are who he says we are, and that he is who he says he is. So Abram believed God that this nation would come out of his own bowels and that they would be innumerable. This doesn't mean he would handle everything right. That doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. Oh, man, he has believed God. It's counted him for righteousness. He's going to have it all right now. That's certainly not what happened. Because his faith was not complete. It was not mature yet. It wasn't where it was going to get to. It wasn't because he understood all the implications of that yet. When someone gets saved, as I mentioned this morning, when they have a childlike faith, they don't understand all the implications of it. All they know and all they need to know is that I'm a sinner that deserves punishment in hell. But Jesus died for my sins and paid that penalty. And I'm going to trust him. That's all it takes. And that's exactly the point. Abram had real faith. Just like Peter had real faith, but it was growing faith. It didn't come about. In fact, after he was saved, it didn't become about his works, did it? It's not like, okay, he believed God and now it's accounted him for righteousness. Now he's going to do all the right works or his works are going to keep him saved. You see, a salvation that relies on my works to keep me saved is a different gospel. Because that means my salvation is dependent on my works. And salvation is not of works. His faith failures of what, when Abraham's faith failed, it did not negate the righteousness that he attained by believing God. In verse 7, it says this, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of, out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Wait, what? <laughs> We're just told in verse 6 that he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Great, he's saved. Right? He can't lose it. Then in verse 8, he says, Lord God, how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit the land? Now, I don't know about you, but I would, I would have, if I was God, I would have said, because I said so. Right? I just told you that. Now in verse 9, so, so we, we see him as with faith, not perfect faith, not great faith, but growing faith. And we see him believe God. Then he says, okay, now how do I know? All right? The verse... Nine, And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst. He, in other words, he cut them in half. Okay? Uh, and laid each piece, one against another, but the birds he divided not. So he didn't divide the turtle dove and the pigeon. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So here we have this raw meat sitting out there. And Abram's, the, the other birds, the scavengers are coming trying to steal uh, the food. Now, they're steal their, what would be their food. And Abram keeps driving away. Now, this sounds weird, verses 9 through 12. We're going to come back to it. Um, at verse 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. All right? So verses 9 through 12, we're going to come back to it. Sounds weird, but it makes sense. Verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, 
and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. We very clearly know what that is. That's the time in Egypt for 400 years. Now, when it says there that they shall serve them, uh, they shall afflict them 400 years, doesn't mean that all 400 years would be affliction, but it means they'd be there for 400 years, and we know that there would be affliction in that 400 years, especially at the end. And verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and after we know that to be, right, the, the, uh, the, the ten plagues. Um, and they shall serve, uh, sorry, uh, and they sh- he will judge them, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Remember right before they leave, he says, go ask your neighbor for, for jewels and for expensive things, and they do that. And, then he's, and they give it to them, and then they flee, and they are given all this great substance. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. You're going to die. Okay, that's a nice way of saying that. And thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. All right, so they're going to return to the land and they're going to possess it. This is what's coming. Now, verse 17, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, so here's what we have in verses 9 through 11 and then verse 17. Uh, this, this was an ancient ritual that was a, a covenant-signing ritual. Instead of taking out a piece of paper and writing their name on it, this was a covenant. They would take these animals, and they would lay them out, and then they would walk between them. And that was how they signed or secured a covenant. This was, in, in verse 17, what we're seeing here is we're seeing a ceremony that God was using to show Abram that he had promised what he would that he would fulfill. Now, when we as Christians, somebody says, okay, I believe, I trusted Christ, uh, I, I prayed, I didn't pray, whatever it was, right? You don't have to pray to be saved. Your heart has to be right with God. All right, so that happened. Okay, great. Now, how do I know? You see, it's, that's, not a lack of, that's not a lack of any faith. It's just a lack of faith or of understanding. And so when I share the gospel with someone, after, if they trust Christ, they make a profession, I take them to 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. It's important for people to know that. So here in verse 17, this is really God's 1 John 5.13 to Abram. Saying, here's how I'm going to promise you that, uh, that this covenant is going to happen. Verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims. Uh, verse 21. And the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. And so here, this is, this is what we have. He says, I'm going to give you that land, and it's going to extend from this area to that area. Now, I mentioned this recently, um, that God's promise, the land that God promised Israel, it, there, may be, there may have been a very short time that Israel actually occupied a good portion of that land. But I don't think they've ever occupied that whole region, but they will. And it's coming. And it's going to be uh, in the millennial kingdom, I believe, that they will, they will occupy all the land that God has given them. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. 
It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now, if you remember, they had dwelt and they had dwelt for ten years. If you remember, they came out of Ur of the Chaldees. He was seventy-five, so we know he's eighty-five now. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto her, Sarai, behold, thy maid is in thine hand, to do to her as it pleaseth thee. But Sarai dealt harshly with her. She fled from her face. Here we have them helping God. Right? They're helping God. You see, God commands me to do things, but I'm not helping God. I'm not, God's not like, I can't quite get it done unless you do it. I'm being obedient to him. I'm obeying God, but I'm not helping God. Most likely, Hagar was picked up in Egypt. When, uh, you remember when um, Pharaoh gave Abram a whole bunch of people. Right and stuff. He just here fill everything up, and he gave it. It's very possible that that's or while Sarai was briefly a part of his harem before he she actually became part of his harem, it may be that's when she picked up Hagar as her servant. But what she said in verse number two, when she said, "Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing," that was true, right? Now, there may have been some bitterness in it. It, it, it sounds a little bit bitter, but, God, but she was correct. God had restrained her from bearing children. So what we see is she understood that God was in control of all things. Now, maybe she's blaming him a little bit. Maybe she's a little bit bitter about it, but she's absolutely right. It was God that had restrained her. But here's the thing. God is the one who restrained her, and God is the one who could open her womb. There was not harder for him to open her womb than it was for him to close her womb. It doesn't matter how old she gets. If God wants to do it, he can do it. But in spite of that, in spite of realizing that God was in control, she still felt that they would have to help God make this happen. So she offered a solution. Abraham, you you can go bear children with my handmaid. After all, God technically just said, by the way, whenever somebody starts with God technically, or technically, they're probably trying to justify something, right? So technically, God said the seed was going to come from your bosom. He never said who the mom was going to be. And in their culture, in that culture, in that day, from my understanding, I, don't, I wasn't there. You know? um, and Jeff's not in here to ask him. Um, but in that culture... Uh, I'm not going to get in details because it's not appropriate for mixed audiences and children. But uh, there, they, there was a way that they would consider that child that was born of a handmaid to be that the wife's own child, okay, when she couldn't have a child. Um, now, she offers a solution. Technically, God said the seed would come from your bowels. He never said who it would be. And the Bible says that Abram hearkened to his wife. Bless God, don't hearken to your wives. I'm not going to say that, okay? I'm not. Uh, but this is the second time in the Bible that a husband hearkened to his wife and it had disastrous consequences. Remember Adam and Eve, right? Ah, yeah, take and eat of this. All right. He listened to his wife. 
Now, does that mean a man should never listen to his wife because it always ends bad? Of course not. Um, I, I went up this afternoon. Uh, my wife spent the night with Andrew in the hospital last night. And then I went up this afternoon, and she took a break, and, and then um, she came back up so I could come back to church, and I'm going to go back tonight and spend the night with her. Um, if it wasn't for uh, my wife saying he needs, I think we should call a doctor, he'd still be at home, and I'd still be saying, get over it, you know. Um, I need to listen to my wife. You need to listen to your wife. However, in fact, later God's going to tell Abram to listen to his wife. All right? We'll get to that. Um, Men and women are built differently. We are built differently. Not only physically, but emotionally. We are built differently. Um, It causes men and women to make decisions differently. That's why the Bible said that my wife is a help that is meet for me. She is a help that is perfect for me. Because God knew... That he made me to be one way, and he knew he made her to be another way, and we would balance each other out. We talked about that this morning. Um, Abram should have, though, rejected his wife's counsel when it was so clearly wrong. But why did he do it? Well, they were influenced by their culture. Their culture said, this is acceptable. It's acceptable for you to have multiple wives. It's acceptable for you to go into your wife's handmaid. The culture had accepted that this solution was okay even though it's against the original design and plan of God. It was always God's will that a man, one man have one wife for a lifetime. It was always God's plan. Now, they've been waiting for the promise for 10 years, and at their age, how, would you, you blame them for looking for other options? Do you blame them for saying, hey, maybe there's another way. Maybe we've got to be smart about this. Maybe we've got to get to the technically, here's what God said. Hagar, then, the Bible says that when she conceived, she despised Sarai. She had been her servant. Probably up until now, she had treated her with respect. She was her master. But now she feels like, hey, I've got a leg up on her. And she begins to esteem Sarai less. Now, I wonder about this. And I wonder if part of the issue, the reason she esteemed her less. Now, number one, it's probably because I'm able to bear children from him and you're not. Right? So there's that. Na 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 Right? Um, I was able to do it and you couldn't. But I wonder if there's not a little bit, and this is just my speculation, if there's not a little bit of her losing respect for her because of how she handled the situation. Like, remember, she's from Egypt. I thought your God was all powerful. I thought your God said this was going to happen. I thought you guys, I thought your God uh, and, and his people taught that marriage is between one man and one, one woman. But you have stooped to our level. So I've lost respect for you. Christians, we, when we stoop to the level or we go against what the Bible teaches because culture says it's okay, culture loses respect for us. You need to stand on the truth unapologetically. So Sarah, she immediately realizes her mistake, but she blamed Abram. She said, my wrong be upon thee. It's your fault. And by the way, it was his fault. She's at fault too, I understand. But it was his fault. Bad leadership. Verse 6, verse 7, sorry. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain. So she, she fled from, because of the way that Sarai was dealing with her. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither 
wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself to her hands. That's got to be a tough thing to hear. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore, it, uh, the well is called, I'm going to try it, Be'er Lahai Rohi. Be'er Lahai Rohi. Uh, that's what she called that well. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. This is the God who hears and the God who sees. There's a song that I love. I sent it to people and they mocked me because it's like 12 minutes long, Right? Andrew's laughing because he knows he's one of them. Um, It's a song called The God Who Sees. It's by uh, Nicole Mullen, Nicole Nicole C. Mullen. Uh, It's a beautiful song, and in that she talks about Hagar. I've never heard a song about Hagar, (laughs) Uh, but she talks about her. Um, So what we have here is Abram, he didn't deal with the situation, but instead he told his wife to do what she wanted, another failure in his leadership. But let me ask you a question. What should he do in this situation? Right? Does he take her to be his wife, his second wife? Should he have sent her away? Certainly we know he needs to care for that child. Um, But in our decisions to disobey God, to choose not to trust him, those decisions have consequences. And those consequences can be very confusing. Right? We can come to situations going, I have no idea what we're supposed to do in that. Like if you come to me and say, Pastor, I don't like my wife anymore. Should I divorce her? I can say no. Right? Um, There are certain things that we can go, hey, there's a very clear. There are a lot of situations that we come up with because we invent wickedness. We come up with new ways to be wicked. And we go, I'm not really sure the right way to handle that. I need to do some research in the word of God and try to come up with something. And at the end we go, all right, so I think this is the way we should handle this. The repercussions when this happens are heartbreaking. Now there's this woman who was a servant who had been impregnated by her master, and what does she do? And her, her story is a sad story. The, the angel found Hagar by the fountain fleeing. The angel of the Lord said, go back and submit to Sarai. Going back seems like it would be worse than just trying to make it on her own, but God made her promises. That seed would be innumerable also. But listen, it's not the promised seed. God was still going to fulfill his promise, and we know that. We know the story. Now, in verse 11, we are given the name Ishmael. And it says there at the end of the verse, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. God will hear 
That's what it means. This wasn't great news. The, the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. And they have only had conflict with Jews. They have always had conflict with Jews and Christians. But they also have a great amount of conflict within themselves. Um, this is not an attack on Arab people. God loves Arab people. Right? Uh, God died, Jesus died for Arabs. This is not about them. But this was a promise that God had made. That there would be conflict throughout their history. So he's named Ishmael. God will hear. But the name of the well is Be'er Lahai Roi. Be'er Lahai Roi. That means you are the God who sees. Isn't it interesting that through this Egyptian servant, that her son's name is a reminder that God hears. And the name of the well that the angel found her at is a reminder that God sees. That God used this woman to teach us two valuable lessons. God hears and God sees. You see, when it, it says there in verse 11, God, the Lord is talking to Hagar and he says, you're going to call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. God heard from this servant woman who would be the mother of a nation of people that would cause problems. And God heard her cries. We know that God is omniscient. We know that he's all-knowing. We know he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere. We know that he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. But what we need to see, and here, here's, here's the closing. What, what shall we do? Understand that God, God hear, hears everything, but he hears you. God sees everything, but he sees you. He hears your cry for help. He sees you going through the struggle. And listen, God is omnipotent. He is powerful over everything, but he is powerful over that situation that you're going through. He is the God who hears. He is the God who sees. And he is the God with power over it all. Let's stand and prepare to sing. We're going to close with a hymn. If you're here today without Christ, I know this is Sunday night crowd. Everybody's people who come often. You come, you're faithful, I appreciate that. I love the fact that I get to come back and preach to people on Sunday night. And I know you've, probably all of you, at least the adults, have made professions of faith. But maybe, maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you've struggled with whether that's really true. Maybe you've struggled with, as I did as a teenager, did I say the right thing? It wasn't about what I said. That's the amazing thing, right? God not only hears me when I speak out loud, he hears what's in my heart. He not only sees what, I, what I'm doing, but he sees in my heart. And God is all-powerful. And at one point in my life, when I was 12 years old, September 17, 1990, by the way, if you don't know the date, that doesn't mean you're not saved, okay? Um, but I remember, I looked it up. That date, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and his power overcame my sin because he died for it. He didn't just wipe it out. He couldn't just wipe it out. It had to go on someone's account, and Jesus went on his account. My God sees, and he sees when I'm going through something. He hears my cries, and he is powerful enough to get me through it, to take care of it. And he's powerful enough to go with you. With you. Let's prepare to sing.